0: Hello and welcome along to the On The Whistle and Shirtless Plantain collaboration. We are reviewing the Africa Cup of Nations final. And wasn't it a classic with the Ivory Coast winning on home soil 2-1 against Nigeria Super Eagles. I'm the On The Whistle podcast host, saying Nabi. And I'm privileged to say coach from the Shirtless Plantain show and our man on the ground, Alistair Howarth, are joining me today lads how are you doing the night before one of the best finals we've probably witnessed in African football history
1: i I'll, I'll, I'll go first because i'm sure coach needs needs time he's probably not finished the morning <laughs> after after last night hey Zane i'm i'm exhausted i'm tired i didn't get home until almost 4 a.m last night from the stadium um i had to look to prime mess- hey,
0: Abishan. Hey.
1: but let me tell you I had so many people messaging me being like Oh, the atmosphere must be amazing. Send me videos of the parties and stuff. And I was saying, what parties? I'm still at the stadium at, at two two thirty in the morning, waiting, waiting. The <laughs> Ivorians didn't even come out until like one o'clock in the morning, and they. Uh, but say, so let me tell you, what a what a pleasure, what an honor, what what a tournament. I, I think I was so nervous yesterday because we'd had mm-hmm. the best tournament in the in the history of this competition, and I was so worried that. That, uh, that the final was going to be a, a, like almost, not not dead rubber is not the word, but a damn squid. Like, I think of the previous 10 finals, there have been seven goals uh, in this tournament. Like this tournament, mm. even when it provides shocks, you know, entertainment, blah, 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 the finals are almost always very, very tight, very, very boring, full of, you know, nothing in terms of incidents, goals, blah, blah, blah. Whereas last night was, you know, the first half, again, I was scared. I was scared that nigeria were gonna get the 1-0 win because for me as a neutral that was the worst result mm-hmm. you know just 1-0 nigeria shut the game down kind of kill the game just like they did the first time they played but you know fortunately for me as, a, as an as a neutral we, we got that equalizer we got that brilliant winner um you know it was a game with with controversy i'm, I'm sure coach will will get into that um, but it was it was an amazing end to the to the tournament and the kind of and that we deserved in terms of the excitement, the atmosphere, and well, look.
0: Well before I bring Coach in, because he obviously has a vested interest here, but I, I just I've been practicing this question, so I've got to ask you it, Alistair, what was it like being in the Alison Watcher stadium with Alison Watcher there? Well it was quite it was it was quite interesting. I've
1: never seen a head of state be like one of the guys. <laughs> like you should have stadium- seen yeah, before before the before the trophy lift, Mr. Watara in his own stadium was like dancing and partying with with the players. They were loving him. Like it was a it was amazing. The atmosphere was incredible. Ivorians, they just I I used to always think that Congolese people were the most gifted musically mm-hmm. in the world. Like they were just born with the Certainly capacity to dance, I mean, to sing.
0: Certainly
1: not but, Nigerians. <laughs> but Ivorians oh my goodness it was just a huge party for like 2 hours just in the stadium they they were they had all these brilliant chants what a, the, the fav, my favorite chant of the Ivorians throughout the tournament has been this variations of essentially them chanting the translate loose translation is we are useless but we've qualified to the next round and and they've been singing this every <laughs> tournament every every match and tonight last night they were finally able to sing we were we were worthless but we're champions. And, and I think that summed it up perfectly, the environment. Just this kind of joy, unbridled joy that comes from that, the realization that they did not deserve to be there. They shouldn't have been there by all rights, and yet somehow they, they still were.
0: Well, well, listen, I, I think that that is a perfect segue to coach. And I remember watching, because um, I was watching from afar, on the feed that was coming through. And um, obviously, we see the goal from uh, Kong. And then we see Kanu, the legend, the Arsenal man, the Super Eagle, standing up, dancing, looking so happy. And then as the game unfolds, they pan back to him and there's this just desolate look. No dancing, no singing. What was it like for you, coach, given you're an Arsenal fan who also loves the Super Eagles?
2: Um, So first of all, I I think, you know, my prediction of there being three goals in the final came to fruition. I just didn't think... It would go yeah. it would go that it would go against me, but I had I had I had a bad feeling considering where um where Ivory Coast came from, basically. The fact that they were on the we titled one of our podcasts Back from the Dead. That's how that's how finished Ivory Coast were. They were not supposed to be here at all. And I always had this sneaky feeling that they're just a the team of Destiny this tournament. And I was just hoping that it would that we could potentially just, you know, just somehow spoil the party, but Sometimes you can't fight fate. They were, they were, this was it was meant for them to win. You know, that that's that's just the bottom line. Regardless of how, you know, you want to spin it, oh, I don't like this style of football, I prefer this style of football, whatever, doesn't really matter because Ivory Coast are always gonna win it. That's that was clear from day one, I think, at this point, because yeah, your best player scoring your opening goal of the tournament and then, you know, the final goal of the tournament is scored by someone who's survived testicular cancer, like it, it is the perfect story. You know, regardless of how mm. well Nigeria done, Nigeria unfortunately were just uh, a side character in all of this. You know, well, and I well, hate I hate saying well, that because well, Nigeria well, are not a side character. Well, to
0: anybody. I got I <laughs> got to ask <laughs> you this, and we'll get to Haller's story because it's amazing. But yeah. were you happy with the way uh, Pacero had set up?
2: Because I mean,
0: it was do you, mean
2: to do you mean from early was on, general? right? Do you mean yesterday or just throughout the well, the final, the final, the final. Um. Yeah, I was because I knew that we couldn't. We can't come. We couldn't compete with them in midfield. We don't. You know, there there was interesting battles there, but ultimately they were just they're just too good. They're just too good for us in midfield. So, accepting who we are and what we are as a team, any any good team that's worth their sort knows exactly what their strengths and weaknesses are. Had we persisted with that 4-3-3, three three, we'd probably go out in the second in the second mm-hmm. in the second round or you know in the quarterfinals because. We don't have the capabilities of sustaining that type of football. What Nigeria do have the capabilities of is, is suffocating teams and taking a sting out of games and taking our chances. And that's what's got, that's what's got to the final. So I had no issues with that. My main issue was because of how bad we got stung in the semi-finals by playing high, but not actually pressing, Pesero's gone the opposite direction now and played really, really deep. And Osimhen is completely and utterly isolated. So we've given more of the game to Ivory Coast. Which again, conceded possession of Ivan coast is not a bad thing. It's just that we wasn't clever with it and we wasn't we didn't um we didn't snap at them in the field as much as we should have. You know, we looked leggy, and we just mm-hmm. we looked kind of out of ideas, and that was that's what that's what annoyed more than anything. The setup itself to me was fine, it was just the way we we actually carried it out, that that's what annoyed me. Well, let me ask this question nice and open. Ali, where was the game won or lost for
0: you?
1: I think it was it was lost from a Nigerian perspective in the beginning of that second half. So, like, yeah, I think there was some question marks over some of the selections coming into the game. I think the biggest one was Chukweze. I, I really don't know why he started when Moses Simon has had a very good tournament. You know, like, I, I just it didn't make any sense to me. Um, but I think, and even Pesero admitted it himself, as he said he didn't change anything about the team until they were losing two one. But, you know, for me, the, the first half of this game followed the pattern of the first Nigeria Cote d'Ivoire game to, to the T, like Cote d'Ivoire dominating possession, not creating many clear-cut chances, Nigeria looking quite comfortable defending, not being very creative going up front, but they find a way to score. Just scores, you know, from a set piece again, you know, this time, uh, whatever, corner, not a, not a penalty. But if in the second half, I think it almost felt like Peseiro had forgotten that Ivory Coast this time had Adingra and Alaire. And so I think for me, that is where he went wrong. Because, and this is crazy to say, but because I think over the tournament, Olaina has been by far and away the best right back at this tournament. He's been brilliant. But last night, he was being torn to shreds by Adingra the whole game. Every time a Dingo would stand him up. And that's what I love about a is you saw him. I remember he winning to...
2: one duel. He won, no. he won one duel the entire game. I remember him winning one duel and that was yeah. it. The rest of it was all a Dingo. And, <laughs> and that's what I love about
1: a is unlike... And you could see the difference between him and a Chukweze, a Lukman, uh, a Gredel, is all the other guys, they, they kind of stand up defenders and then they kind of... Whether it's a step over, they try and jink inside, they try and do a dinger he set he stands up a player and he immediately bursts past them and every time he almost did the exact same thing to to know I mean, every time got the ball looked like he was going to come inside stood him up and then immediately went to the byline because you know although he's right footed he could play on his left and he absolutely tore him to tread so for me that was where the game was lost was it was very very clear that Cote d'Ivoire had the pressure it was very very clear that unlike the time before it wasn't just aimless crosses into a Crasso or a Boga or whoever was playing in that yeah. first game is it was a Dingra and Allaire were the ones actually being, being threatening. So for me, Pacero had to make changes early in the second half other than bringing Simon on, but he needed to bring on, I don't know, say Samuel or someone take off a and bring on a more mobile center back to help out. I know like they there. He needed to make some kind of change because a Dingra was just get, get, having so much space, getting so much joy. So I think for me, that's where the game was lost is, Pesero has shown that he's brilliant at setting up a defensive unit. He's brilliant at creating a kind of a functional team that, that and that for tournament football, that's that's perfect. It's exactly what you want. And the, for the most part in this tournament, he's had an Aussie man who's been able to create chances from virtually nothing. And that's been the difference mm-hmm. for, for Nigeria. Whereas last night, you could see the tournament finally caught up with him. You know, the injuries, the knocks. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy feels like he's playing with one leg and he's still the best striker at the tournament. But it finally caught up to him and it felt like when Aussie men couldn't create everything by himself, couldn't bring in Lukman, couldn't do any, everything like that. Nigeria didn't have anything. And that's, for me, where Pesero has, has let himself down and, and Nigeria down, Is particularly in the second half, he didn't make the changes that were needed.
2: Can I, can I ask, though? I mean, with Osimen didn't have the best of games yesterday, but I feel like it was such a fine margin because it felt as, it felt as if a lot of the duels that he got into yesterday, in games gone by, the referee just lets the game go on, and it seemed as if every time he got in front of the defender, the whistle just went every time. And those those are opportunities where he can he's won the ball. And essentially, he can turn and face the defense. Somebody's run, running off him. He can play into space. And every time the, the whistle didn't go, Lukman, Chikwesi, or Simon got the ball in space and were able to run at their man. It just felt as if those happened so few times. It just felt as it just felt as if there was a stricter there was a stricter there was a stricter line of of what they what they would give yesterday than any other part of the tournament and not just for us man, for other play- I remember particularly in this um South Africa game as well, evidence was going nuts. And I I loved I love big strong strikers, you know, bodying their, their centre backs. And it seems as if, you know, they were letting it go. And then in the final it just it, it was the opposite. Almost almost like, oh well no, we can't you know, that's almost too rough. When it's like the entire tournament has been the opposite of that. Everyone's been the game's been flowing. The referees been great, and you know, I'm not. Nigeria didn't deserve to win yesterday, but if I'm being honest, I think they saved the Not only did Nigeria save their worst performance of the tournament for the final, I think so did the referee as well. To be honest, like it, it just felt as if there was some something changed, and you know, thank God there was no need for for VAR yesterday as well. But it genuinely just felt like something that something changed. Um, but do you know what? I just to, I actually want to go back to your point about where Nigel lost the game. I also feel as if when he made the sub, when he when he was making changes tactically, all he could have done was told, was told our our right winger whoever it was whoever it was at the time drop ten yards. Even if you're not going to double up on Adingra, just make sure that when he gets the ball, his angles are cut off. That's that's all you really have to do, really. But the fact that n- that didn't even happen. I was like, okay, cool. I, I kind of I have a feeling I had a feeling this is where the game, the game would go because good football teams get the ball to their to their bet to their best players consistently. And good football teams stopped that happening and Nigeria didn't stop that happening, unfortunately. So I have no I have no real complaints, you know. Um but Pesero himself, you know, the fact that he's really honest and humble about how the game went kind of thing, I genuinely do think it's a it's a good sign because he was honest and humble enough to change the system after the first game as well. So it's clear that it's a sign that somebody knows that's somebody that knows you know the strengths and weaknesses of this team and also the strengths and weaknesses of himself. It's just a bit disappointing that it all kind of caught up with them yesterday more than anything.
0: Well, I was going to say we, we've spoken a lot about Pacero and some of the changes that he made or didn't make, but when we look at Emerson Fire, who's come in as the interim manager of the Ivory Coast one would imagine he's done enough <laughs> to get the job even though he's got no experience really for yeah. such a high profile position um but on the BBC commentary that I was watching there were a lot of calls particularly midway through the second half to substitute um Aler and Adingra a lot mm-hmm. of the commentators feeling that they were slow sluggish Alair specifically clutching his leg um in the end, his faith <laughs> in LA specifically paid off, and we've mm-hmm. spoken about Dingra and the threat he was made. I mean, watching it in the stadium, um, Alistair, did you get a sense that it was risky to keep LA on as, as long as he did?
1: Yeah, honestly, yeah, I did. Um, I, I remember thinking that same, not at Dingra, because uh, actually, when I remember specifically when Diakite came on, um, is I was like saying to the guy next to me, like he has to come on for Gradel, not a Dinger. You have to keep a Dinger on. You have to keep a Dingra. on. But Allaire, yeah, I I, I said that. I, I I really wanted him to come off. I thought he wasn't providing anything. He looked so tired. But like kind of as coach alluded to earlier with strikers at that elite level, the margins are so fine. Even if you're having a bad game, even if you can't contribute, they have the ability to, to do that. No one else on that pitch bar Ozzyman, I think had the has the now kind of striker's instinct to finish how Allaire did, and if he had come off you know jean Picrasso he's you know he's, he's done a decent job, but he's not scoring that goal he's not he's not finding that that half yard of space that clever little touch to 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 find the net and no yeah i I think you know obviously I wasn't listening to commentary, but I think they're spot on in terms of bringing off alaire i I thought he needed to come off I thought there was no way he could keep going and and he wasn't going to offer anything and yet you know, when it, when it mattered most, he did. And, and even the other chances, you know, he almost scored that brilliant bicycle kick, you know, like that's yeah. what someone like him, him provides and say, you know, same with, with Ozyman, the difference is, is that Cote d'Ivoire were able to get the ball into the box. were able to create half chances mm-hmm. that Alain could make something of, whereas Nigeria weren't able to, but yeah, no, I think it's, and then that's always going to be, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about football is like, Sometimes coaches make the wrong decision and it pays off. Sometimes they make the right decision and it doesn't pay off. You know, that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about yes. the sport is that variability, that kind of chaos, that how uh, sometimes out of your hand. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, but I, I do think that Alair should have come off and it shows, shows both how me and the BBC commentary team were uh, made. made to <laughs> <the case. laughs>
0: well, 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 let's stay on Alair for a second because I know coach, you mentioned earlier his inspirational story. A year ago, he, he he was recovering from testicular cancer, comes back, makes a comeback for Dortmund, makes a comeback for the Ivory Coast, and scores one of the sweetest winners you can imagine. I mean, yeah. this is an inspirational story um, in a team that had so much dysfunction at the start of the tournament, but found a way to be functional and found a way to win.
2: Yeah. Uh, when we talk about teams of destiny, it threw out, like, the... <laughs> Throughout football history, you know, club sides, international sides, you can name, you can name loads. Like you can go all the way back to the year two thousand and four. There was two, you know, there was Porto, there was Greece. There was Porto in the, in the European Championships. There was there was, um, so was Porto in Champions League. There was Greece in European Championships. You know, you come a bit more recently, two thousand and sixteen, the Euros. Portugal. That Portugal side was terrible, to be honest, but they found a, they found a way. Um, like it throughout throughout football history, it always there's always a team that no matter what the odds are against them. Leicester in 2016 as well. Like you know, no matter what the odds are, they they just find a way. They find a way on Valentine's Day 2016. Arsenal beat Leicester and the two points behind them. Leicester go and win eight or nine games in a row, one nil or something like that, and and essentially wins in the league. Is sometimes there's certain things that you cannot, you simply just you, you cannot deny and. Ivory Coast and Hollow were not to be denied this tournament at all. Best possible start followed by two losses and then they sacked their coach. And then you're thinking, hold on a second, how how is this going to pan out? The moment they got through their round of 16, I was like, all right. They 100% get to the final. I remember I spoke to someone and they were like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm really, really glad that Morocco and... um." that Morocco and Angola are out, I was like, on the other side of the draw, that's probably where the winner will be. And the other side of the draw was Congo and and Ivory Coast. And I had a feeling that had Congo beat Ivory Coast, I wouldn't have wanted to face them. I wouldn't have wanted to face Ivory Coast either. But one of those two to me were the teams to get through because Congo got to the semis Mm -hmm. with winning only one game, right? That's that's something to be worried about. And then Ivory Coast, Coast we have mentioned as well. Again, you know, like the, the circumstance, they, they managed to find themselves in to get to the um, semis as well. When you're a team of destiny, nothing is going to go against you. Like you're going to you're, you're going to win. Um like I said, Nigeria played their part, mm-hmm. you know, sh- showing showing that look where, you know th- there's life there's life in this team, you know, some old heads, some young heads and whatnot, but ultimately like it was probably just a step too far and then on top of that, you add, you add Haller's story to Ivory Coast, already ama- amazing story. And it's almost like, how can they lose? Like, it's, it's, sure. it's almost impossible. But I think he, did. I think the only game he played, the only two games he played this tournament was the semis and the final, right? If I remember correctly.
1: They had the only two started, yeah.
2: Yeah, there we go there we go that's, that, there's nothing more you can, re, you can really say about this tournament like there's, there's there's so many there's so many underlying narratives and stories and whatnot that it's almost a, like he could have easily not played that semi as well and only played the final it went the exact same way you know it's it's just you know he he was not to be denied and from a personal standpoint I'm absolutely heartbroken but as someone that's you know that's dealt with that, that has people that has people around him you know that have survived cancer as well Mm. i couldn't be happy for him i genuinely couldn't be happy for him i think i think he's not an easy story just inspirational to people that survived that survived cancer but it's inspirational to absolutely anybody like that no matter what no matter the circumstances you never know what tomorrow is going to bring like he Mm. he just just kept on going he just he just kept on going and he's, he's arguably given like the the biggest day in ivorian history in the last god knows how many years um I'm I'm a loss for words honestly. There's so I could I, I might actually consider writing a, a little a little story about this because there's so many narratives that went from the story. Sure. sure. It's ridiculous, honestly.
0: Well, I'll, I'll 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 keep us moving because Halaire is obviously an inspirational part of it. But let me let me make this case to you. Um, we have seen success with teams when they've changed managers. Sometimes when it's looked like it's not the most well thought out decisions. If you're a Chelsea fan, you've won the Champions League with Roberto Di Matteo and Thomas Tuchel, um, both, if I'm correct, coming at a time <laughs> where they were changed in the middle of a season. Um, Zinedan and Zidane started his dynasty at uh, Real Madrid, coming in um, midway through a season and then winning three on the bounce. Um, and with um, Emerson Fai, you have the situation where in his debut, they beat Senegal on penalties. Then they go on to knock out Mali in the quarterfinals who were one of the form teams. DRC might not have the name of a superpower on the continent, but when you look at that workman squad, one of the hardest teams to beat. And then of course they get it back and they beat Nigeria, who of course they lost to. I want to just get some thoughts on the interim manager. Is this his success? Um, does he deserve any credit? Is this player led, and what is the future? Give me, give me your your, your raw thoughts, guys. Coach, do you want to um, go first?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, I'll just mention just one point because I think it is probably what essentially won them the tournament. It's the fact that Gasquet didn't start Serie. and I remember the, I remember in our preview pod, um, in our preview pod, and on our first pod, um, um Alice we spoke about the fact that they have so much midfield depth and. Um, Sarri isn't starting at all the moment Sarri comes into the team the ho- their whole attack changes because he's able to get the ball into their forwards and into their better players so so easily, effortlessly in fact and that wasn't the case in the group stages at all and it, it, it baffled me that Gasquet didn't actually start him at all so Faye, Faye recognised that straight away and it almost feels as if that he almost knew these players better than, than Gasquet that's why he was like, okay, looking at the composition of my team, looking at the what I have what I have available, who's the player that can actually change that can change the trajectory of this team? I have Sangare, I have Fofana, I have I have um the guy that scored the equal, as I've gotten his name Oh my gosh. Kessier. Kessier. I have Kessier. None of these players are in any way, shape or form similar to Seri. So he's our, so he's essentially our Trump card and he's the, and he's the and he's the wild card basically here. Despite his, his style of play being the exact opposite, and then that's why you could have the midfield rotations of Sangari starting some games or um, Kessie starting some games, kind of thing, and it and it really made life difficult for teams. You know, how are they going to line up? How how are Iruka's going to line up? That was the to me that was the masterstroke and the main difference between between them um, pre Gas um, pre Fey and post um, and then post Gasquet basically.
1: I think. I think it's, you know, obviously it's so hard to, to know exactly what's going on behind the scenes in a national team and, and know what the relationships are, are like. But one thing that you got a sense of is, and, you know, this was a big question mark for Cote d'Ivoire coming into this tournament. And, and probably the biggest stick to beat them with was, you know, we've spoken about this so much on, the pod, on this podcast, that over the last five years we've seen this amazing emergence of African coaches, flying the continent's flags so high, you know, led by Ali Cissé, Jamal Bamadi. You know, obviously we've had on the club side of things, Pizzo Masemane is a good friend of the podcast, and he, is, he has done so much in terms of breaking barriers, shattering glass ceilings for, you know, Black and Sub-Saharan African coaches, both on the continent and, and abroad. And one of the things that you spoke to with, with people ahead of the tournament was uh, around this Cote d'Ivoire team was, A, there were question marks, Gasset has never coached on the continent, you know, and, and we've spoken about this time and time again, even Jaidi, when he came onto the podcast, j- just before the tournament was talking about this, how he's saying, look, it doesn't matter if you're from the continent. And he was speaking specifically about players who are kind of Tunisian, but born in France and England, wherever. And he said, but you have to have experience on the continent. You have to have games under your belt and guess didn't. And there's also a sense that emers as, as kind of coach alluded to that he has a connection with these players that Gasset never had. And you know, and and it's not hard to understand that Gasset is kind of a, you know, I you know, I, I don't want to kind of besmirch him too much, but he's a very old French guy who's been kind of airdropped into this team to take charge of them. Whereas Amers spy is a former player, someone who's coached a lot of young players. You know, he spent his entire coaching his career coaching at, at Nice, Montpellier in the youth sides and then taking over, you know, for the Ivorian team. He knows what it means to play for Cote d'Ivoire you know he's been to a final and lost it with Cote d'Ivoire you know and he you know it was so many times in press conferences that's what the questions were about it was Emers you you weren't able you know you had to cut your career short so you weren't able to be a part of the 2015 team that won the AFCON you were part of the 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 what was it 2010 2008 the team that uh, lost them um, on penalties you know you've suffered this what does it mean for you to, to play and and so he he's able to connect with the players in a way that Gasse was never able to. He's able to, you know, and he spoke so much about kind of looking in the mirror, looking at ourselves, what have we done wrong? How can we improve a lot of introspection? And even like Cassier spoke a lot about that as well. I spoke about it, how this team kind of had to look at themselves, had to, you know, essentially pick themselves up from nothing. And I don't think Gasse could have done that if he had stayed. I think Emmer's five was the one who, who's done that. Look, is Emerson a great coach? Is he a great tactician? We don't know yet. Maybe he is. Maybe he'll become a brilliant coach. We'll never. We won't know based off this tournament because what's carried will, this team will, to the, will, to the end of the it, tournament is is brilliant man management, is inspirational coaching. It's not tactics, and and for that, you know, he has been a different speaker. Yeah, sorry, coach.
2: Now I was going to say, although we, we don't know, you know, if you if you'll be a great tactician or what kind of thing, I feel like. A lot of those things are overstated. Great coaches and great managers, at a base level, understand what their what their best play what in, in general understand what their players' um, strengths and weaknesses are
0: 100%. in relation
2: to others. In relation to others, so for, I'll just give I'll give a really easy example here. If you're Man, if you're a Man City coach, you're not going to start Grealish. You're not going to start Grealish, Alvarez, um, and uh, and Nunez all together basically because there's everybody there essentially wants to provide more than they want to score. Even though Alvarez yeah. is, a, is a really good is a, is, a, is a really good finisher kind of thing, their first instinct is to be more you know drop back a little bit kind of thing. Now the moment you add someone like Haaland into the mix now straight away, then you you drop one of those players kind of, um, kind of thing. That's a very basic example, right? So if you extrapolate that to Ivory Coast now. Again the point I made before, automatically he he, he recognised, okay, I haven't got a dingra fit, so who am I who who am I actually going to play? Mm. Who's who's the most similar player there? You know, he, he started Pepe, I think, one game, but really and truly he relied on the 36 year old Max Gradle because he's someone that, you know, who can go in and out, basically, even though he's 36 years old. And who can if I go in and out, who can I cross the ball to okay, Haller's fit now, so okay, I'm gonna start him as well. It's just understanding that those relationships between your between your players kind of thing. And that to me, is a very good. If I'm an Ivorian fan, I'm thinking that's a very good sign. Someone that understands straight away his strengths and weaknesses mm. of these players. A lot of these coaches in these tournaments, all they do is kind of just play like who who's the best player, mm-hmm. you know, who can who can help who, who can help me the most, rather than understanding who can actually help each other. Same way, Casera um, got us got us to the final by essentially going to a three at the back because he realised our wing backs, sorry, our centre backs are all great in a three, but in a two they absolutely pants. No, no disrespect to our players, but you know, Ekong is a fantastic centre back in a three. He showed he's the best player in the tournament in a three. But in a two, he looked very, very funny. So it's just understanding relationships. And Fade to mm-hmm. me from the outset understood the relationships almost straight away.
0: Well, well, listen, lads. Um, yeah. We're going to get to uh, your teams of the tournament in a second, but yeah. before we go down that path, I just want to ask both of you a question, and we'll start with you, Alistair. Where to for the Ivory Coast from here? Um, the World Cup's coming up. We have the tournament in two years' time in Morocco. Where to? Where do they go? What, 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 if you look in your crystal ball, do you see? And coach, off the back of that, maybe you pick up for the Super Eagles and you sort of tell us where they go from here.
1: I, th- I think, uh, well, as someone who, who is in the same World Cup qualifying group as Kotiwa, they're in Kenya's World Cup qualifiers, I got to say Kotiwa will have no problems qualifying for the World Cup. Um, it, it should be a very easy ride for them, but uh, yeah, I think one of the, and I think this is something we need to discuss further along the line is what this world, this Afcon has done is it's actually also thrown up a lot of possibilities for the World Cup qualifier because a lot of the big hitters who would have been in those first seeds are suddenly in a position where they have to play some of these smaller teams that could give them a real run for their money. You know, Nigeria are in the same group as South Africa, Cape Verde and Angola are in the same group as Cameroon. You know, like these teams can give them a run for their money. Côte d'Ivoire, I think, is different because a they have a very, in my opinion, quite an easy World Cup qualifying group. Their biggest challenger is Gabon, and then Kenya. And so, as much as I love Kenya, that we're not going to trouble them. They're, they're going to, I think, they should walk that group easily. And I think what that does is that allows Côte d'Ivoire, with that easier group, is to try and build something because we talk about all the time on, on this podcast and when when talking about international football about cycles, about building things, and Côte d'Ivoire. As much as you know, say Alaire and Max Gradle were their most kind of perhaps iconic players from this tournament. Certainly in this country, and players like Cassier This this team has a lot of very very good young players. I mean, you think about the centre backs they've got Evan and Dika, twenty four. Costen, like what twenty two. Giomande twenty. You know, they Wilfred Zingo at, at right back, what twenty two as well. You know, Simon Odingor is going to be there for another decade. They've got Karim Konate coming through as, as one of the most exciting center forwards in Europe at Salzburg. David Datrofafana kind of at Chelsea. You know, they they have the pieces to build something over the next, what, two, three years until that World Cup and, and to build something really special. And so for me, that's where the coaching is going to be so important because... This is where, you know, there's no way that if Emmer Spy wants to stay, they won't give him the job because he's he's earned that. He is the most popular man in this country. I can tell you that even before the kickoff of the match when they're announcing the the players, the team sheets, Emmer Spy got a bigger cheer yeah. than everyone else. Um, and so he will be he will be given this coaching job unless he refuses it. And so that is where this is going to be the big question because if he can show that he is someone like a like a Ali Cisse or and even if he's not as tactically gifted, we've seen we've seen other FAs like Senegal bringing in oh, I can't remember who's the French guy they have, but like bringing in assistant coaches who are more tactically astute you know, than than the head coach. So even if Emerswa isn't that brilliant coach, and he is just a brilliant man manager, a brilliant guy who manages the players, if they can bring the team around him to build this cycle going up to twenty twenty six, because even twenty twenty six, you think Cassier. It might be a bit too late for Jean-Michel Seri, I think, but Kesie and Fofano, they'll both be what 31, I think. They'll both be early 30, still, still looking really good and sharp. This is a team that for me can be one of one of those teams like Morocco that goes far in a World Cup. They've got time to, to build up. So there, there's a lot of question marks still, but I think for me this this Ivorian team has the, the building blocks um, to to build. Not, I, I'll let coach speak about Nigeria, but I think it is interesting with, the, with like I alluded to, it's is we've now got this funny situation where we don't know when the next AFCON is going to be, because it's scheduled to be in the summer of 2025 in Morocco. Um, unfortunately, as is often the case with African planning, well, if I say African cafs planning, um, uh, Dr. Patrice Monticeppe, uh will probably give in to Gianni, uh, Gianni Infantino, his good pal, and because the Club World Cup is also in, in the summer in 2025, I think the AFCON will probably be moved to 2026 um, in, in the early, early year, uh, like January, the normal time we have AFCON. Um, but that presents us with this really interesting scenario where within the next two years, essentially, we have to do two sets of qualifiers for the World Cup and for the AFCON going to be a lot of competitive football, a lot of must-win games for a lot of these big countries. So there's not going to be the space to build squads in a way that you might be able to, if you have friendlies, to bring in these young players. And so for me, it's still going to be what are the teams that can build the best squads um, into the, to the AFCON and then into the World Cup. And for me, those are still the teams like Senegal, like Morocco, but this Ivorian team is really special and I think they could build in, into something.
2: I suppose look, look from a from a Nigerian perspective, um, I'm looking at the players that didn't go to the AFCON this year and their ages, and Nigeria left left something in the tank. You know, um, my biggest worry is our centre backs and our centre midfielders because, in terms of our whole defence, actually, I think we've found a solid goalkeeper. Genuinely, I think I think Noah Bali has surprised a lot of people, and I feel like. Especially for tournament football, big presence like that. Who's eccentric? Who can make big saves and stuff like that? And he's actually quite good at his feet as well. I think he's absolutely fine. But now we're looking at someone like Aino. Aino red. Will will still be a, you know a good defender for us in two three years time. I have no doubt about that. You know. But then our left back issue. There are some names that are floating about, but you know they're unproven. At centre back, Ekong is going to be what? By the next Afcon, he's going to be thirty two. He you know he he he'll, he should still be fine, but. Again, you know, you mentioned before that he wasn't even sure if he was gonna make this AFCON squad. So again, there's there's still those uncertainties. <sighs> Nigeria's biggest, biggest assets obviously are our atta- um are our attackers. But I don't feel like that should be that should be what we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on how do we get the ball to those attackers and who do we include in our squads. Um I'm perfectly fine with Pacero carrying on for the World Cup qualifiers because I feel like he's uh, he's got credit in the bank now. Nobody gave us a chance to even to even make it up to essentially make it to the to the knockout stages, I'd say, in our in the in that in this AFCON and we made it all the way to the final with the best with the best defensive record. So clearly he's a good coach. Um taking us to the next level, I'm not hundred percent sure yet, but again he's he was literally one game away from from winning us an AFCON, our first AFCON in eleven years. So who's to say that you know the next time he might he might go all the way? The style of football isn't the prettiest. It's not Nigerian heritage. It's not expansive and um expansive and, and flamboyant. But again, you know, it's about adapting to your squads. You know, if you don't have the likes of of Okocha and Kanu and Babing and Babang um, you know, all these, you know, Finidi George, all these flair players kind of thing. You, you, you know, you don't try to play that. We you, you just don't. Um, so yeah, I'm look overall in terms of what Nigeria do going forward. I'm mean, I'm at a very very positive space. You know, when you exceed expectations, you set a new baseline, you set a new be- set a new benchmark, and it's kind of hard to re- to revert from that. You know, expectations have now changed. So now a lot of people, for example, that might be thinking about oh, you know, do I switch allegiances to Nigeria and whatnot? They might be thinking, wow, look at Lookman. You know, Lookman. You know, nobody really thought he'd be the main man for Nigeria. Now look at him. You know, same thing for someone like Ewobi. Same thing for someone like Ula Aina, You know, there's there's a lot of players in the diaspora that maybe may maybe like having second thoughts, man. By the time you know we come around for the next Afcon, we may have you know some really top players that we didn't even consider that could be Nigerian. You know, that could play for us. So we we'll have, to, I guess, we we'll have to wait and see. But as a Nigerian, I'm very very proud of this team. I'm just. Bitterly disappointed, but you know that's football. Somebody has to lose. Somebody has to win.
0: Yeah. Well, well. Before we move on to the teams of the tournament, I'll offer you two thoughts. One, can you imagine what it feels like to be
2: Wilfred Zaha? <laughs> 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 just you know, you know, I don't even know what to say. I, do you know I mean, what
0: I mean? He he yeah. could have been the man. He could have been. He could be one of the players who turned it around. Had he just yeah. been more committed to the team. So say the Ivory Coast team, of course, I'm simplifying what could be seen as a complex storyline. Um, and secondly, um, as a South African, I leave the tournament with more optimism than maybe I had before. And I mm-hmm. you know Ali, you'll tell me I should have the optimism because of the consistency that Hugo Bruce has brought. But, you know, until we're tested in big occasions, you don't know how it will, it will, it will happen. And, you know, I suddenly have more confidence against Nigeria and the qualifiers. So maybe we won't beat them, but maybe we can we can take some points off them and they can drop elsewhere and, and our qualification um, could come into being. Um I will let you lads break through your teams at the tournament. You can fight over who goes first. I'll just say that if if, if none of you pick Ronwin Williams in goal, you guys are one-eyed Kenyan and Nigerian fans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, who is that saying Ron I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> Go on, give me your team, brother. All right. So uh, teams of the tournaments are always so difficult because you know, football is so defined by moments and and there's also there's so much recency bias. So it's hard to judge, like, you know, someone who had a brilliant group stage but then, you know, gets knocked out in in the in the knockouts, then kind of does he have is is he a player of the tournament? So for me, goalkeeper, yeah, no question, Ron Williams. I think Mobiley had had pushed Ron Wan for it but uh, up, uh, up, uh, up until the final, but I actually think about had a pretty bad game in the final. I think particularly that Kessier header was, was really poor goalkeeping, but even if even if Nigeria had won and know Bali kind of pulled off an amazing kind of string of saves again, I think, I think for me it would have been Ron Class above. I think right back, as I kind of alluded to earlier in the tournament, I think Olaino was by far and away the best right back at this tournament, but I, I have to be honest, I think in this one game, Simon Adingra kind of ruined his credentials as, as the player of the tournament. Um, because yeah, I know in terms of being being a, a great player over the course of the tournament, um, you know, it's important. But it, as I said, it comes down to these moments. And in the biggest game for Nigeria, Olaina was, you know, for me, probably their worst player. And Odinger took him to pieces. So I think for me, Mudao kind of edges it because I think Mudao was far more solid. He was, wasn't as much of an attacking threat. But he, he kind of contributed to South Africa's footballs in, in in so many brilliant ways. I think my my centre backs like Chrusta Kong, best player of the tournament for me, both defensively and and up front. He's brilliant brilliant player, brilliant servant for Nigeria, brilliant captain, wonderful Ooh, in the media. The ball, way better than huh? people yeah. the people the people give credit credit for. I agree. Um, and even last night in the mix zone, stopped and spoke more, longer than anyone, including the Ivorians. You know, even in defeat, really gracious guy. The center back next to him i went with logan costa from from Cape Verde. i felt like there weren't any of, of the final four teams there weren't any center backs that really jumped out at me i think some some were good but none number whereas logan costa for for Cape Verde had a brilliant tournament him and pico lopez were a brilliant duo costa also showing kind of his ball playing capacity so for me it, logan costa had to be alongside Trusty kong left back was a was a, a bit of a tough one but i think i in the end i went for arthur masuaku Really, really good tournament for me. Very solid defensively, and particularly his corners, his set piece delivery was was excellent. His only blemish was missing a penalty, but in in the end, it didn't matter in in the in the penalty shootout against Egypt. And, and I never try and hold penalty shootouts against players too much. Uh, so I think for me, for me, he, he was there. I went with the midfield three. Teboho Mokwena was was there. Fantastic, fantastic performance from him. That free kick alone kind of will will live in memory for so long. And. Um, and I know he missed a couple of penalties, but only, you know, the, the penalty in, in the third place playoff, I don't really care about. The only blemish for me was that missed penalty in the, in the shootout against Nigeria. But even in that game, he scored a penalty in normal time. It was was fantastic. Alongside him, I had Frank Cassier. Again, he speaks for himself, kind of player man of the match in the semifinal, scores the equalizer in the final, scores the equalizer in the game against Senegal. Brilliant, brilliant performance from him. And I also added Freddie from, from Angola. I think, again, it's hard for me to find a third midfielder, and I thought Freddie was... Without him, Angola wouldn't have got out the group. Without him, Angola wouldn't have got to the quarterfinals. Um, his, particularly his, his double assist in, in the round of 16 against Namibia was fantastic. I think he was a brilliant midfielder. Wingers for me, Adam Lukman really tournament. Excellent for Nigeria. You know, scored the, goal, the important goals when men couldn't. So I think for me he had to be there. And, and you know, obviously although he didn't play as much football Simon Ding Bros magnificent, you know, game changer in all of the knockout ma- matches, whether he was starting, whether he was coming off the bench. Um, and for me up front was probably the hardest one because if he had got past the round of sixteen, Emilio Ensue for me was the best striker in terms of in terms of performance, but he but he also missed the most important penalty of 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 and Equatorial Guinea's tournament. Um if he had scored that and it got to the round of sixteen for me, he would have definitely been there. And so I have to go with, as crazy as this is, a, a one-goal man in, in Victor Ozyman. Because for me, if, if Ozyman wasn't playing, Nigeria would have been potentially even knocked out into the groups. They wouldn't have beat Kotbiboran because he won that penalty. Uh, they they pro- probably wouldn't even have beat Equatorial, uh, got the draw against Equatorial Guinea. And he dragged them through these games. Against South Africa, he won the penalty that, that, that uh, put them in the lead. He was immense, immense, immense. So for me, as, as weird as it is to say, the striker with only one goal for me was the was the striker of the tournament. Yeah. All
0: right, coach, would you agree? What's your, how does your team shape up compared to Alistair's? It's,
2: it's, it's actually quite compelling some of these some of these arguments, but mine mine is is based purely on I suppose impact overall. So some 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 of these impacts of the team, but some so some of these selections might seem a bit wild in general, but I think. You're gonna hate me for the first one, but Noah Bali for me is our is the goalkeeper of the tournament, and not because I think
0: he's. Oh,
2: he, he was, I he think was... I like Ch-
0: I just like Chipper United. I think more than you because I know for <laughs> <was like>, supporting <laughs> Nigeria.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, jeez, so, one-eyed super eagle. Go on. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but do you know? you know? what, you know what it's for me? It's, it's it's moments. It's moments combined with the the overall impact. Look. After he got injured, I forgot a game it was in. It might, it might have been in the group stages where he got injured. The entire country paused for him. You know, journalists were asking, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you getting me ready for our next game?" Because we knew, we knew, we, we have someone in him. You know, who, who who's a calm head, who's a shot stopper, who can actually launch attacks. The amount of times he found Ossiman on his chest from sixty yards, seventy yards was actually unreal. You know. Those things, matter and then in our biggest, you know, in our biggest moment, even though I think he was up for the first goal yesterday, but in our biggest moment in the semi-final, you know, he saved two penalties against somebody who saved four penalties in the last in the last run, It, it just it, it was just such a huge, huge moment, you know. Um, at right back, I think nobody can have any disagreements. Me and somebody that um, on my channel were actually laughing at the fact that you know is in the running to be a Player, player of the tournament, just purely on a vibes perspective. You know, he's so good in the ball and whatnot, but genuinely he's, he was just very, very good. Yesterday was much like Nigeria in general. We saved his worst performance for the final. I think he's just been very, very solid. And the fact that he played left-back this tournament as well, again, that versatility helping Nigeria get through games and manage games just by being versatile. Um, second centre-back would be Kasunu. Um Again, watched him for Leverkusen as well and he just carried his form through. I think he's probably going to end up being the best African centre-back, you know, very, very soon. I think he's a top, top quality player of the tournament, obviously Ikong. I'm not being funny. I never got to watch Beresi at, you know, at a, you know, at a big level, you know. I'm sure you did, Zayn. You're, you're a little bit older than me. But I'm not being funny. I don't think Beresi was this good, personally. I can't see how Beresi was this good. Genu- I don't think he's, he's ever put That's together... That's big. A
0: That's very big. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm joking <drinking, laughs> obviously, but but I think I think um in terms of impact, I don't think there was a more impactful player this tournament. Um again I mentioned he was probably our shortest player in our in our defence, but he he was a giant in the air. And on the ball, you know, he was when when we did use our midfield, he was finding passes into them pretty easily. You know, he was he was so so good. Um left back Misaki, um, Misaki, sorry Masaku. <laughs> um when I watched him at the worst Time, I was like, this player, I would love to have him in my seven aside team or five aside team because he's just so good on the ball. And then you watch him for you watch him for Congo and he's one of their playmakers, essentially. He's one of their he's one of their he's one of the people that starts their attacks and whatnot. You know, that goal he scored from the free kick was deliberate because he did it against Chelsea as well. You know, he's a very, very clever and technically sound player. I think he's just fantastic. I've mentioned Seri so many times, I'm not going to mention him anymore because it is what it is. He just deserves to be in the team of the tournament. He changed the tra- trajectory of this Ivory Coast team so, so much, you know. Um, different profile to their, normal, to their regular f- midfield free and he, he helped them loads, you know, organising as well as his passing. Kessier, again, big moments. He didn't start every single game, you know, he played his role, but every time he was called upon, he helped. He helped loads, Absolute loads, and obviously, he speaks for himself in the final. You scored equalizer. Um, Mokwena, dead ball specialist, superb, superb passer, and an organizer as well. Everything that went that, that South Africa did good in that team came through him. All of the passing combinations, relieving pressure, calming the game down, he was just so so impressive. Um, my first forward again, a 4 3 3. Adamo Lookman. Three goals. The you know he he's helped revive the big man little man strike partnership. <laughs> um, he was just he was just he, he, he would put put it like this. I don't think I know we, I know we spoke, spoke about Osimen's impact. You know Nigeria might not have made it out of the group, but generally speaking, who's going to put the goals away? Who would have put the goals away? You know those these things are super super important. So for me, absolutely yes team in the tournament. for his finish. Alone deserves to be in that tournament, deserves to be in the tournament, but in general, as well, when a team like Angola are you know impressed everyone, kind of thing, and nobody can really pick you know who their best player is, kind of thing, to me, he's the one that stood out personally for me. He he looked like the man, and despite them obviously coming up short against Nigeria again, I still think he was fantastic for sure. And up front, I'm gonna go, <laughs> I'm gonna go with Ossie, man, and not because again you know, he scored the most goals and whatnot. In Sue for me, I, I always judge strikers and, you know, especially pure number nines and how many goals they score. But if you score all these great goals in the group stages and whatnot and then when it matters most, you don't contribute, you know, to, you don't contribute to, to winning a penalty or creating a goal kind of thing. It's kind of hard for me to overlook that and despite him scoring, you know, being the top scorer kind of thing, Ossie battered every single centre-back he came up. I'm sure if you ask every single single centre-back this tournament, you know, who do they hate playing against the most, it's going to be awesome and across the board. Even if they didn't play against him, like, oh, I did, I'm glad they didn't play against them because he'll be giving me a bad day. So that's my team of the tournament. Um, again, I'm looking back at the goalkeeper. You know, it's hard for, for Ronwen to, to miss out, but I, in, in, uh, Noobadi just just is it for me. But yeah.
0: Sorry, took me a little while to come off mute. But <laughs> listen, those are fantastic debates, discussions and teams. Um, and listen if you're listening out there to either the On the Whistle podcast or the Shirtless Plantain podcast, please go comment, tell us if you agree with Alistair, tell us if you agree with Coach, tell us if you disagree. Um, I know I disagree because Ron Williams should be in goals, <laughs> I know that, um, and Sue should be the starting striker. And I think that Alistair and Coach are too harsh on him on one game because the man <laughs> delivered. Um, and um, listen, come in, let us know what you think otw underscore podcast on twitter and instagram find us on facebook and youtube at otw underscore podcast or just search for the on the whistle podcast coach if people want to reach out to the shirtless plantain what handle should they hit you guys up on
2: so on on twitter it's the plantain show on tiktok it's the same on instagram it's the same um yeah hit us up comment like subscribe share with your friends and whatnot Um, especially to the majority of our listeners which are in america the World Cup's coming soon, right? You want to get involved. <laughs> in you want to get involved in football. Share this podcast with them. Like you know, you're going to learn a lot.
0: <laughs> and listen, um, coach, and maybe Ali should should get the final word. here. Yeah, it's been absolutely amazing to just um, collaborate with you guys, and um, we really enjoyed it. We hope it's something that, as we continue to build our platform and focus on an African football, our stars on the continent, our teams on the continent, and those abroad. Mm-hmm. and those stories that there'll be places for us to, to meet, share, sit around the virtual Brian talk. It's been Absolutely. such a pleasure
2: getting to know you and, and, and your team. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to, to working with you guys even, even more. And for me personally, who, someone who, you know, has dedicated so much time to football in general, in general, I'm not saying I find it hard to learn a lot more, but it's been so, it's been so refreshing to learn even more just, you know, during, just, just my our conversations, genuinely, it's been so refreshing. I, I, I'm genuinely grateful that you guys accepted our, our invitation. So, yeah, thank you, guys. And here's to working together even more.
1: Amen. Ali, final word to you. Final word would be, guys, particularly for, I guess, those who, who follow or co- coach's side of things, the Shirtless Plantain Show, guys, African football is year-round. You know, this, fe- this festival, yeah. this party is, is not a, a once-every-two-years thing. You know, in, in two weeks' yeah. time, the CAF Champions League is back. Okay, you want to see some of these guys who have been performing. You want to see Teboho Mokwena. You want to see Peter Shalule. You want to see some of these guys playing. You want you want to see you know Esha Mashur, who is probably Egypt's best player at this tournament. They'll be in action. They'll be playing in the CAF Champions League. We got we've got the Chand African Cup of Nations for only locally based players coming coming to Kenya later uh, later this year. We've got the women's Afcon coming later this year. When we don't know yet because CAF hasn't got their act together and hasn't told us. <laughs> But they will be playing. We and, got the women. And,
0: and, and if you're a fan of Nivali, no, you you definitely have to watch the Premier Soccer. The PSL, with yeah. Chippa United. Yeah, yeah. let, let, let me
1: should, tell I you. I don't know.
0: Be the <laughs> yeah, well, what what, what I is, would say equivalent is... the equivalent team? Ali would be. Who would you say the equivalent of Chippa? To, to Chippa, I don't know. West Ham? Not
1: even. Not even <laughs> nah, that's too high. Not even Forest. Maybe I don't know. Like not even. Forrest. I think that. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so, 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 someone like that. Yeah, and yeah. So for me. Look, follow African football, follow these storylines. Yeah, like, just watch, if anything, just watch the PSL. You know, there's, you know, over 30 of players who are at this tournament playing the PSL. I think six goalkeepers. Um, so it's, I think it's, and, and, you know, even I think the other, maybe the last thing, as I'll say, is even, like, Tanzanian club football. This is, the, this is a tournament where in the, in the quarterfinals and in the round of 16, mm-hmm. in the semifinals, we've seen players from Tanzania, you know, Inok Banga, uh, Fiston Mayele came off the bench multiple times. Mm-hmm. Jigui J- Jara, Mali's starting goalkeeper, playing for playing for uh, Yanga and Simba. So, you know, Mabalulu playing in Egypt. So that's all I would say is, guys, African football is a, it's it's a constant, it's a year round thing. There's more chaos. There's more beautiful football. There's more wonderful football. And yeah, I just think I've the everyone best should get stuck stories
0: in, in the world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, Absolutely. we we haven't even spoken
0: about. I don't know for those ones to do this. All the Palestinian flags that were waving at the oh, yeah, the yeah, and, yeah, right, and no, and I, you know, I'm not here taking a stance on whether you agree or whether you like it or wherever you stand, but you know, there's so many just, strands I that come in into this. Sorry, go on, coach.
2: <laughs> no, so I say def- I definitely stand in Palestine. I also stand with 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 Congo. Well, Congo probably made the the biggest political yeah, statement with um, their protests. Yeah, with, with, with their protests, and I feel like. I was a bit disappointed in in the broadcast and the fact that that it was it was clearly oh. censored that was very done in bad that was done yeah. in very bad taste and it's shocking because it's an african tournament you know sure. it shouldn't it shouldn't be controversial oh. it shouldn't sure. be controversial to, to to highlight these things and they made it controversial which is incredibly strange but you know that's neither that's neither that's neither here nor there but you know just just so we're clear on this like we, we stand with the plight of of the Congolese people, we stand with the of the Palestinian people, and injustice, injustice everywhere in general. You know, this is, you know, this is to my mind, this is both our platforms are are standing on. You know, not sound too self righteous, but we're standing on the right side of history. I, I'd like to say at least um, in regards in regards to these things. You know, especially what happened yesterday during the during the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I think it's clear. I think it's very important to to highlight this this kind of thing.
0: Well, listen, coach, always wonderful getting your perspective. Yeah. Always wonderful hearing from you, Alistair. Um, and as I say, so many important topics that diver- deserve a lot more discussion, uh, debate, um, and also nuance. And we're, we're, we're happy to provide all of that. Coach, a pleasure having you on. Ali, Thank always you. good seeing you. Travel safe from Abishan. Go yes. and take a break. Come back mm-hmm. in a little while. <laughs> you need it. Rest, recover, eat some haggis, whatever you're missing from home.